have the great privilege today of having Mike Durrell with us to preach the word again as he comes to us and preaches about joy in strong relationships from the book of Philippians that we're con continuing on. Mike has, uh, works with AFES in uh, Notre Dame's campus. Uh, this year they've just been recognized as a real club, uh, not an underground club, and so that's really great. They had uh, O'Day and had uh, 14, is that what you were saying? About 19 people sign up. So that's for Bible studies that will take place, uh, reading of the scripture there on campus or offside of campus of students that are at Notre Dame. So that's pretty awesome uh, that they have that going on. And so we're grateful that Mike is with us. He does lots of work in Fremantle. He's there for three days a week working on four or four days a week working on five, one of those, three working on four. So he's, he's there three days a week, really four. So really what needs to happen is he needs to get more funding so that he can get to be that for. And so pray about that. And if you want to know how to help him with that, let me know. And I can direct you on how to do that. Let me read the scripture today for us that Mike will be preaching from. Philippians 2, 19 through 30 says this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly, I myself, will come also. I have thought, if necessary, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me get ready. All right, thank you and thank you all um, for having me here. Um, it is actually my privilege to be here and thank you for letting me uh, bring the word of God to you today. So after the momentous news of Jesus's humble death on the cross, we come to two guys that seem really quite not that remarkable, really, when you compare them to Jesus, right? So. We come to the scene where it's just a complete shift of gear. It's like it comes out of the, yeah, it comes out of left field, and you're like, "What's Paul doing here? He's just talked about the magnificence of Jesus, how great he is, and how humble he is, and now he's talking up two fellows who he works with." Well, let's dive into this text and try and work out why on earth Paul would be talking about two guys that, compared to Jesus, don't seem like much. All right, so imagine with me a war scene. 
So the general's up on the rear of his jeep addressing his soldiers and he's like, everyone, I've been able to defeat everyone so far by my own power and own might. I'm, I'm such a good general, I'm so great, I've done it so well. And now this is my final battle, I'm going in it myself. You guys can just go home, pack up, take your things, take your rifles, you won't need them, I'm going in myself because I'm the best general in the world. I've defeated all the armies that have come against me. I've defeated everyone. And now, I'm just going to do it all myself. You guys pack up, go home, it'll be fine. So he hops in his Jeep, kicks out his second in command and says, oh, don't need you to drive, I'm going to drive myself, thanks, and drives off into the horizon. Soon after, there's this massive sonic boom as a jet flies over the army and on the horizon, a mushroom cloud. The general has been blown to smithereens by a missile. It was inevitable, right? The general thought that he could defeat the armies of the world by himself. He thought that he could win all the battles by himself. He was a very arrogant general, wasn't he? He's very arrogant. He thought that he'd won all the battles, all by his own might, but the reality is he had the best troops who were backing him up. He had the best troops to command. He didn't win those battles by himself, but he was relating to the troops. They were relating to him. They respected him up until the final time that he said, I'm the best general, I'm going to do this myself. Now, my wife and I are a bit of uh, Netflix addicts, and we've been going through the movies, uh, and we found Lego Batman the other night. Now, if you've seen that one, uh, Batman's quite an arrogant character. He's thrown away all his friendships, um, he's a loner, he <laughs> arrives home to all his wonderful toys, but no one to share them with. And the opening scene of that movie is quite funny because it's, he's so self-obsessed, he's um, made a rap song which goes along the lines of, who's the best at Kung Fu? Batman. Who's the best at kicking baddies' butts? Batman. And he goes on and on and on. And he's fighting Joker and all his henchmen without anyone to help him and maybe doing an okay job but he doesn't really get it, does he? Relationships is what make up, makes us strong. And that's the theme and the, the moral of the story of that movie. Now, why am I talking about this general? Why am I talking about Batman? Well, our life is a bit like that, isn't it? Um, sometimes we can think we're too good for friends or we're better than everyone else. Um, doesn't that mean we lose our friends? Doesn't that mean that we're left alone on the island of life? Well, it can happen at church sometimes too, and that's the sad thing. We can isolate ourselves from everyone else and not participate in the good and joyful relationships that God has given us. Or rather, sometimes we actually feel like we're too bad to relate to everyone else, right? We're 
at church, we're so concerned with looking at our own sin sometimes that we, we've forgotten that the gospel has actually saved us from our sin and has actually opened up good and joyful relationships. Now, this is what we're getting to. This is why Paul has included two people who are just seemingly normal people in his book or letter to the Philippians. He's given us the truth that Jesus has made true and meaningful relationships joyful because they're based in humility. So we've seen in previous sections that Jesus has humbled himself to the point of death on a cross for people who were sinful and who were his enemies. Now, in this section, we're going to see that Jesus' humility has so impacted two people's lives that it has brought joy to not only Paul, but to the Philippians themselves. So we're going to look at the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we're going to learn that Timothy is the chip off Paul, his old block, and Epaphroditus is the nobody who is somebody. So when we think about it, Timothy's a quite known character or guy in the Bible, isn't he? He's got one or two Timothy written to him by Paul. He's Paul's right-hand man. He's the guy that Paul can depend on, even in the tough times. He's with there with Paul writing this letter to the Philippians. And he's mentioned in Thessalonians, Colossians, Philemon, Romans, Corinthians. He's listed everywhere in the New Testament. He's credited with writing letters alongside Paul and helping him. He's a bit like Paul's Robin, I suppose, if Paul's Batman, but he's not really, but we'll get to that. He's his dependable sidekick, the one that he can rely on, and he's the guy that he trusts. And in this section, in verse 22, we learn that Timothy is like a son to Paul. It says that, but you know uh, Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. So the word there, as, can be translated like as well. So like a son. So Paul is like a son. He's there with Paul. Timothy is like a son to Paul. And he's there with Paul. He's dependable. He's there. He's always there. He's in a good relationship with him. Now, does that mean that Paul and Timothy, after work, went and played cricket together? Probably not different culture, but you know what I mean, after work. Or does it mean that Tim and Paul got together in the shed and pulled apart an engine, put it back together and went, yeah, well done, son, said Paul. No, does it mean that they went down to Frio for coffee and chatted about how life was going and shared the tough times and the good times? Well, it was a little bit more different. Timothy was sitting outside the prison with Paul going, come on, keep at it, let's keep going. You're in prison, but it doesn't matter. Let's keep going. So what does like a son mean to Paul? What does it mean for Timothy to be like a son to him? Well, we see that in verse 22. It's connected to the gospel. Paul says this in verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because like a son, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. 
So Timothy and Paul were working alongside each other and that's why Paul has Timothy as a son. So Timothy's sonship isn't dependent on what Paul does with Timothy in his spare time, like we'd like to think, but Timothy is Paul's true son in the service of the gospel. So Timothy is a chip off the old block, so to speak. Now that makes sense when you think about the culture that they're in. Their trades came from, so if I was to take up a trade like an electrician, my dad would have to be an electrician, I'd learn from him. Or if I wanted to be a fisherman, I'd take up the trade of my dad, a fisherman. Now, Timothy has put that all aside to actually work for the sake of the gospel. And that's a radical move. Now, no wonder Paul can say that Timothy has proved himself a genuine person for the work of the gospel. Now, it's a massive shift to say no to the work of your earthly father to take up the work of your heavenly father. So Timothy is like a son to Paul in two ways. He's taking on the trade of his ministry dad, so to speak, who's Paul. He's working hard alongside Timothy and um, Paul, proclaiming the gospel. And therefore, he's a chip off the old block, even though he's only, he's not his true dad. All right. And so for someone who's trained in ministry and training students in ministry, I can think about how true this is. I've been shaped with people who are older than me, who I've viewed like a father. They've taken me under their wings, shaped and nurtured me, and I'm a like a son to them. They've treated me like that. And I can reflect on the times that they've listened to me complain, listened to me <laughs> whinge about how I'm not adequate for the service of ministry. And they just come alongside and say, keep on going, you've got this. Let me teach you how it's done. So I imagine that Paul was shaping Timothy in the same way people have shaped me. They, like my fathers, have influenced me in training in the gospel. Now, there's another reason why Paul has Timothy like a son. Paul has no one like him. Can you see that in verse 20? It's right there, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Paul is saying, look, this is my guy. He's, he's my son. He's, he's a guy that I trust. He's a guy that I want to be there for you. He's the son that Timothy has. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry about that. So Paul has Timothy as a son in the work of the gospel. Now, loving someone like a son who isn't your son takes immense humility, doesn't it? It takes you putting yourself aside for the sake of someone that's not related to you. You've got to really genuinely be concerned for them. To love someone like a son means you actually have to take care for them. Loving someone you're related to is actually quite easy, but loving someone 
that isn't related to you takes extra work. Now, Paul loves Timothy like a son, and in his sonship, he finds true joy. In that love that comes from the gospel, Paul finds immense joy. So, how does that come about? How can Paul love Timothy like a son? Well, it only comes from being like Jesus in the relationship he has with Timothy. Paul can only love Timothy because Jesus has first loved him. Jesus has loved him by dying for him and doing everything for his sake on the cross. So what does that mean for us? Well, sometimes God will put across our paths people that will have to love like a son or love like a daughter, people who we're not related to, but people who need nurturing, people who need training, and people who need to be encouraged. Now, what about Epaphroditus? So looking at the rest of this section, so 25 to 30, we learn about Epaphroditus. Now, he's a bit different to Timothy. Timothy, we know lots about. Timothy is everywhere in the New Testament. So how many letters did Paul write to Epaphroditus? Was it one? Maybe two? Three? Any takers for four? It was actually none. None whatsoever. Epaphroditus had no letters addressed to him. Nothing at all. And... He, he seems to be left out. So, what do we learn about Epaphroditus? In this short few verses, we learn that Epaphroditus, as equally, Paul equally loves him as much as Timothy. So, what do we find about Epaphroditus? Well, he gets a glowing report from Paul, doesn't he, in verses 25 to 30. So, let's quickly pull out the details about good old Paffy. I'll call him Paffy because Epaphroditus is just a mouthful. All right, so Paffy. So firstly, he's described as a brother, a co-worker and fellow soldier. All very good things, right? He's the Philippians messenger who's taking care of Paul while he's in prison. He takes care of Paul's needs. He longs for and loves the Philippians and wants to return to them. He's loved by Paul so much that if he had died, Paul would have had sorrow upon sorrow. And he's also distressed that the Philippians are concerned about the fact that he's ill. And finally and lastly, probably the biggest glowing report, stamp of approval from Paul, is the fact that Epaphroditus, or Paphi, nearly died for the sake of the work of Jesus. So, if you had all these seven things put up on your tombstone, hopefully not soon, but wouldn't that be pretty good about you? So, described as a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, he was the guy that brought good news to people, he was the one that took care of good news, or he or she loves the church so much that he, could, he or she did everything they could for it, or that the fact that you died like the church has actually paid for your tombstone and said we concerned, we're concerned with them so much that we love them 
and we're, we have sorrow upon sorrow for their, our loss. Now, if you had something on your tombstone, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? If you had all those loving people behind you, then it'd be great. So maybe we can change the one died for the work of Christ and we'd have one on Paffy, wouldn't we? But that's the one-up you'd have on a Paffy. But jokes aside, Paffy is no joke. He's the real deal. He's genuine. So he's not Paul's son in the gospel as described as Timothy, but he's the brother, the co-worker and fellow soldier. Now, the fellow soldier one is a bit interesting, isn't it? Because we don't have many soldiers around in our culture, but just being described as a fellow soldier was the position of honour. So if you had a friend and you said, they're my fellow soldier, someone who gets alongside me, works hard for the sake of the gospel, then it was a position of honour. And that's how highly Paul rates Paffy. He loves Paffy so much that he's willing to write to the the church that sent him and issue them with a glowing report about him. Now, what has made Paul so gobsmacked with Paffy? Well, it was the final thing he said about him. So, Paffy has shown that he's willing to risk his life for the work of the gospel. He's willing to almost die for the sake of meeting the needs of Paul. Now, we come to the, the final point. So what, what is the point of pointing out Paphi and Timothy? So we've talked about Paphi and Timothy, but we've had the momentous news about how Jesus is so humble to the point of death on the cross that it seems that these guys come out of left field, right? So why does Paul put down on paper what he felt about these two people? Why does he even bother? Well, there's one reason. Paul knew that he wasn't alone in the work of the gospel. He wasn't alone. He wasn't like Batman or the general. He needs, needed people to help proclaim the gospel. It's a joy that comes. Sorry, yeah, Paul has a, an immense joy in sharing in the work with these two fellows that it comes from battling together, sharing the ups and downs of life. And it's like soldiers who work together to achieve the objective. So Paul, Timothy and Paphia have fought together, proclaiming the gospel, and they've expressed true humility. They have loved each other just as their father has loved them by sending Jesus to die on their behalf on the cross. So, why all this? Because Timothy, Paul and Epaphroditus have worked so hard together in the work of the gospel, they love each other. They love each other with a humble and true love. Now, that's very countercultural, and it was back then, and it still is now. 
So imagine if you walked into an office building in the CBD in Perth, and you walked in and said, no matter what the job, I'm here to do it. Let me do anything you want me to do. Give me all your bad jobs. I'll take them on. I don't care. Give them to me. Give me. Uh, just wait and see what happens. You either will get all the bad jobs or you'll be ushered out of the building. People don't like humble service. Instead, it's the arrogant, the boastful, and the proud that are promoted in our culture. So we could try the arrogant way. We could muscle our way into the CBD building and we'll probably be taken out by uh, a guy that could have played quarterback or play for the All Blacks in rugby. But in the end, tall poppies get cut down just like we would if we walked into the CBD and proclaimed, I'm the king of, the door of this CBD, do what, you, do what I want. I'm like the arrogant general. I'm going to take over the whole CBD. It's not going to work, is it? But our culture rewards the proud, the arrogant, and the boastful. But compared to the world's work, God's work seems meaningless and small. It seems so small to the big works of building great mines, building bridges, building everything. But God is building a kingdom. But the world doesn't recognise that and looks at us and laughs. It laughs because we're not like them. We, in humble service, actually proclaim the greatest treasure to the world. God's workers aren't proud, they aren't arrogant and boastful. God's workers don't use each other for their own gain. Instead, they have the same mindset as Christ, who was just spoken about in the previous section. He made himself nothing as a servant to the point of death. He won up to Paphi and he came back from the dead. Now, I'm, I'm sure you've had that let sink into you from the last few weeks of looking at Philippians, but there's nothing more humbling than a creator coming into creation and dying. And dying the most humiliating way possible on a cross. Now, we as Christians get that Jesus died, but often we don't reflect about the big immense news of what it means to actually be humble. By making ourselves nothing, we gain nothing by political manoeuvring, we gain nothing by bragging, and we gain nothing by being arrogant. So what does it mean to share in the joy that comes from working together for the sake of the gospel? So as a team, we support each other in the way that we proclaim the gospel. We're in different locations, we proclaim it in different ways, by speaking, by hanging out with people and doing things with our hands like art or interpretive dance. But we do it so we have the opportunity to speak about the gospel. 
we might use different methods to engage with the community around us. We're all different, but it's the same gospel. We've learned it from faithful teachers, and we're all under the direction and leadership of our Lord Jesus Christ. So sometimes we think that our gospel work is so small and so insignificant, but the reality is God is still using it. I had someone tell me that an Australian evangelist once said, there isn't a week that goes by that I don't hear that someone was converted through God's work through me. Now, does that sound a little bit arrogant? It does a little bit, doesn't it? On the face value, it does. Was he humble bragging? Like, you know, you know what? I'm doing such a good job. Does he have tall poppy syndrome? Does he have a big head? Well, the funny thing is, this evangelist never had someone come up to him and said, I was saved by your work and ministry. So he wasn't bragging. He was actually saying, others have shared with me second or third hand that they know someone who became a Christian through me. And that was extremely humbling for him, that God would use a small and insignificant person to bring someone into the kingdom of God. He wasn't bragging. He was sharing the joy that comes by God's work through people. So God is at work through his soldiers, of which you and I are privileged to be called into his service. We don't humble brag. We don't yeah, say that, hey, this is the way it happens. But we instead share the joy knowing that God is working through all of us, even the most insignificant of us, to bring people into his kingdom. Now, that's a great joy, isn't it? And if we're not talking about it with one another, we're not sharing it with one another, how on earth are we going to share that joy? So that is why Paul wants to talk about Timothy and wants to talk about Epaphroditus. He wants to say, Look at these two guys. They get it. They've seen how humble Jesus was by going to the cross. They've seen what humility Jesus showed by dying and raising from the dead. They got humility. But do you? Do we understand what it means to be humble in the gospel? Do we know what it means to give ourselves up for the gospel? Well, if you're like me and sometimes struggle with this, or most of the time actually, um, it's okay because we look at Jesus. We read, like, just go back to the previous section in Philippians and we're smacked in the face by the most humble example that we're ever going to get. It means putting ourselves to death for the sake of others, to share the joy we have in strong relationships in the gospel. When we examine Paul, Timothy and Paffy's life, we get a taste of what humble service of the gospel actually brings. It brings joy, doesn't it? Paul cannot contain himself. He cannot stop himself talking about how these guys have helped him 
and brought God glory through their service. So we'll never be extremely humble like Jesus. Some of us may die for the the work of the gospel or may die in waiting for Jesus to return. But we're going to be not exactly Jesus, are we? But we're going to be made like him when we receive our resurrection bodies. We're going to be perfected. We're going to be completely humble. And that's something to look forward to, isn't it? No more political manoeuvring. No more trying to one-up each other in service. But in the meantime, I think this is coming from my examination of my heart. I think we can serve better in humility. We can put ourselves figuratively to death. We can put aside what we want for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. Now, is that something that you would like to do? It sounds hard, doesn't it? And I think you're right. It is hard. It is hard being humble when our culture says that it's good to proclaim from the rooftops how great you are. But we have the ultimate example, who is Jesus, who gives us his helper, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, to make us humble. There's nothing more humbling than Jesus saying to us, the only good you do is actually by my work in you. Now that's the way that Paul, Timothy and Pappy could live. And that's the only way we can live. So how about it? How about we live more humbly for the sake of the gospel? Encourage, build each other up, Nearly die for the gospel if you have to. It's God's work. Get on board. Church, would you respond with us from page 10? Church, what do you believe?